Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. You know, Solomon dedicating the temple, 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And this is going to set the tone for the next five or six weeks here. It says that he lifted his hands towards heaven. If you want to lift your hands towards heaven right where you're at right now as a sign of surrender to the king. And then he prayed. Oh, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven and earth. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. You made that promise with your own mouth and with your own hands you fulfilled it today. And now, O Lord, God of Israel, carry out the additional promise you made to your servant David, my father. For you said to him, if your descendants guard their behavior and faithfully follow my law as you have done, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Now, O Lord, God of Israel, fulfill this promise to your servant David. But will God really live on earth among people? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Nevertheless, listen to my prayer and my plea. O Lord, my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you. May you watch over this temple day and night, this place where you have said you would put your name. May you always hear the prayers I make toward this place. May you hear the humble and earnest request from me and your people Israel when we pray toward this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live, and when you hear, forgive. If someone wrongs another person is required to take an oath of innocence in front of your altar at this temple, then hear from heaven and judge between your servants, the accuser and the accused. Pay back the guilty as they deserve and acquit the innocent because of their innocence. If your people Israel are defeated by their enemies because they've sinned against you and if they turn back and acknowledge your name and pray to you here in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and return them to this land you gave to them and their ancestors. If the skies are shut up and there's no rain because your people have sinned against you, and if they pray toward this temple and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins because you've punished them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them to follow the right path and send rain on your land that as you've given to your people as their special possession. If there's famine in the land, or plague, or crop, disease, or attacks of locusts or caterpillars, or if your people's enemies are in the land besieging their towns, whatever disaster or disease there is, and if your people Israel pray about their troubles or sorrow, raising their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and forgive. Give your people what their actions deserve, for you alone know each human heart. Then they will fear you and walk in your ways as long as they live in the land you gave to our ancestors. In the future, 
Foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear of you. They will come from distant lands when they hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of earth will come to know and fear you, just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple I have built honors your name. And if your people go out where you send them to fight their enemies, and if they pray to you by turning toward this city you have chosen and toward this temple I have built to honor your name, then hear their prayers from heaven and uphold their cause. If they sin against you and who has never sinned, you might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to a foreign land far away or near. But in that land of exile, they might turn to you in repentance and pray, we have sinned, done evil and acted wickedly. If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the land of their captivity and pray toward their land, you gave to their ancestors, towards this city you have chosen, towards this temple I have built to honor your name, then hear their prayers and their petitions from heaven where you live and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Oh my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to all the prayers made to you in this place. And now, arise, O Lord God, and enter your resting place along with the ark, the symbol of your power. May your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation and may your loyal servants rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not reject the king you've anointed. Remember your unfailing love for your servant David. That was Solomon's prayer, the dedication of the temple. And he looked to the creator God, the one who established them in the land and gave them the ability to create. And they built a temple as a place of worship. We know now in the new covenant we are the temple and we should be a place to inhabit his praise. It should be part of who we are as his people. And this morning as our team has lifted up holy hands and they've led you in worship, there's an, an inhabitation of praises within your temple if you're participating in that. And we, his people, have to cry out to him. We have the power and the authority, church, and we need to start crying out to God. And over the next five, six weeks, we're gonna be talking about the verse in the next chapter from Second Chronicles chapter 7, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And we're going to start working on that and working through that and having some conversation around this. But I'm telling you, it's a time for us to worship. It's a time for us to pray like we've never prayed before. Heavenly Father, as we begin 2021, I believe it's a year where you're gonna pour out your glory upon your church. And your people are gonna know you in the power of your resurrection. Father, we ask that as we repent of our sin and turn from our wickedness in our own hearts, and as we look to you and as we call upon your name and as we pray and lift up holy hands, Father, we know that you hear from heaven and you will come and heal our land. So we look to you at the beginning of the year, Lord, every day actually, but we look to you right now and we posture ourselves in that direction towards the hope that you bring 
towards the life that you bring, toward the courage that you give us. So help us today, Father, in everything that we do. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you guys for braving these snow-covered roads this morning to come and lead us in worship, in cameras, etc. How is everyone doing? I hope you're having a very happy new year, 2021, the year that God sends his glory to our church. And I remember, you know, we're going to be talking about if then is where, is where we're going today. And uh, I remember years ago when I was young, quite young actually, maybe 10. I learned a program in a language called uh, BASIC for computers. And uh, there was this logic function that we used. It was called if and then. You know, if the password is true, in other words, if the password you type matches the one in the system, it grants you access. Now I assure you, <laughs> passwords used to be really easy Although some of you still use things like password 1234 or 5336 as your password. You know, if the password is false, we want to initiate the self-destruct sequence, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um, I assure you, <laughs> that robocall you got back in 1984, um, it wasn't me exclusively. Um, there was a couple of us, uh, especially if you were the 519735 people or the 519250 people. We were just learning to test how computers' <laughs> systems worked and stuff like that. And I'm also pretty sure that I had Windows 98 about six months before it came to market. Well, maybe. Um, anyways, don't ask me about that. Full disclosure, I have to be honest with everyone. How many remember back in the day when you actually went into the bank to do a transaction? Uh, yeah, I, I used to go into the bank to do transactions. We didn't do it all online back then. And, and there was this one particular teller, bless her heart. Um, for some reason, she just liked to harass me and give me a hard time all the time. Um, I think I had a signature card signed um, every time I went into the bank. Uh, to this day, I still can't sign my signature twice, twice in a row the same. Uh, I'm glad they don't do the signature card so much anymore. But I might have um, accidentally hacked into the bank with her credentials, because you have to be really careful when you're typing in your password, because people are watching. Um, same with credit cards, you shouldn't flash them, uh, or, or your passwords. Why am I talking about this? If you're a teller and you give me an unnecessarily hard time, then, I'm just kidding, I'm reformed now. Well, mostly. Goodness, <laughs> it's good I became a preacher. Computers were fun, but let's go to this. If God exists, then he has a moral standard, which means we need to live accordingly. Every atheist loves that statement. If God does not exist, then there's no eternal consequence for our actions. So why are you wasting your time trying to do things that are right and good? Those are logic statements, if, then. It's logic. And I think they still use them, like in Excel, if you're doing an inventory program, you know, if inventory is less than one, then return the field, reorder now. Or maybe, um, you know, 
if your bank account is in overdraft, then maybe you should spend less money. Um, you know, those kind of things. Logic, though, is rapidly ceasing to be a function of our culture. We tend to run on emotion now more than we run on logic. Way more energy, way more passion, way higher ups and way lower downs. Uh, you know, there's a term we use called fuzzy logic in math. And you know, where people are making conclusions based on partial or inaccurate information. And this creates problems for us in the Christian faith when people start using this fuzzy logic because when we're talking about absolute concepts like good and evil with other people, you know, think about that. When someone says to you, I'm a good person, how do you, how do you define good? Who determines what's good? Who, de who determines who's good? I mean, how do you define good? Eve, she saw the fruit and she said she saw that it was good to eat. So from Eve's perspective, the fruit was good to eat. From God's perspective, he said, don't touch it, don't eat it. Actually, he said, don't eat it. Satan twisted it and added the don't touch it. So what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go with God's perspective where he says, don't do it? Or, or Eve's perspective where she saw that it was good? Let's not make the mistake to think that we can determine what is good and evil and that what man considers good is equally considered good by God. Let's not make that mistake. What determines, though, if a person's good? What if someone's mostly good? Partly good? A little bit good? What does Jesus say in Luke chapter 18, verse 19, amplified? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is essentially and morally good except God alone. Now, Jesus is God, so they could call him good. But none of us are good, except for God. That's what the Bible says. Theologically, I'm convinced that man can only do good when what? When we're obeying God's commands and following the Holy Spirit's leading. Goodness is linked to understanding God's perspective in serving or enacting his will with our actions here on earth. Goodness requires both obedience and surrender to the king, the one true king. Sometimes I wonder, who are people being obedient to, the creator God or the false imitation chief gods, the substitute gods that are out there? Seriously, who do we have more faith in these days? Do we have more faith in our movie stars and our athletes and their opinions, our politicians and elected officials and their opinions? You know, do you depend on the creator to sustain you or are you depending on the government to sustain you or your employer to sustain you? And I think we should be having more faith in the creator as Christians because we put our faith and our confidence in him. But so many people are so afraid so they look to false gods or they look to false idols or they look to false saviors. Some Christians are very afraid right now Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear is not from God. Fear is from the devil. If fear is not from God, then fear is from the devil. <laughs> My phone's going to light up today for that statement, I'm sure. But listen, you know, talking about 
the day and hour that we live in today, hey, look, if you're at risk by age or by health, you probably should isolate or quarantine yourself from the general population as much as possible. That's wisdom. You don't do that because of fear. You know, I, I don't go up on the roof and jump off a 20-story building and think that I'm going to land on my feet. I might, but it's going to hurt. That's not wisdom. That's foolishness, right? So there's, there's faith and there's foolishness. But I guess at the end of the day, my question for you is, is fear governing your decisions? Because right now the culture is afraid and they're operating in a lot of fear. They should be. Because when you don't know who the Prince of Peace is, how are you going to ever operate in faith? How are you going to operate in hope? How are you going to receive peace? Only the Prince of Peace brings peace. That's Jesus. Doesn't 2 Timothy 1.7 tell us as Christians that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind? If God has not given us a spirit of fear, then who gives you a spirit of fear? We, as humans, tend to rely on expert opinions these days. So I'm going to start this, this concept with this one idea. The Bible is factual, reliable, and it is the only truth. It is the original, authentic expert. We need to get that. But I have some questions, I guess, that I'll ask. If the experts know what they're talking about today, why is our culture in a downward spiral? Why is addiction, abuse, and suicide on the rise? Why are so many people trying to check out? Why are so many marriages failing? Why is poverty and debt increasing? Don't even get me started on how much money our country owes today versus 10 years ago. Why is strife and division so rampant in our society? Everybody's divided. Everybody's got an opinion. Everyone thinks they know something. Maybe you do. But if you're what you know, if what you know disagrees with the word of God, then you need to change what you know. If the experts know what they're talking about, why are our prisons full and our churches empty? Why is there more sickness and disease in the earth today than ever? The truth is only going to be found in God's word, the Bible, his revelation to mankind. If Jesus is the only way, then every other way is false. Catch that. If Jesus is the only way, then every other way is false. There's no way but Jesus to the Father. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Then, or and, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The key is, if you're a true disciple, you're going to remain faithful to his teachings, his teachings about forgiveness, his teachings about mercy, his teachings about love, his teachings about peace and gentleness and kindness, how Christians are supposed to live with faith, not fear, with hope, not despair, with devotion.
I have some examples here of some if-then statements from God's word, his established truth, that should be speaking to us on how we're supposed to live. Because if Jesus is the way, if Jesus is the truth, and the truth is what brings freedom, I assure you, outside of Jesus, if you don't know Jesus, you will not know truth. You can't. Because until your heart is changed towards God, till you're out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, you can't know truth. You don't have the ability or the capacity to understand truth outside of Christ. This is why it's so hugely important for us to repent of our sin and call out to Jesus to save us from ourselves. And then in repentance, when we give up our sinful life, we come to the place where we can receive his forgiveness. He makes us holy. He makes our heart alive. He takes us out of darkness, puts us into light. There's a, there's a salvation. There's a process that happens there where God turns our life around because we have turned our life around from repentance, right? You repent of sin and turn the other direction towards God. God will come in and he will start changing your heart. He'll start changing your life if you let him. In John 15, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. So if you do what I command, then you will be my friends. How many want to be a friend of Jesus? I assure you, it's much better than being his enemy. And Jesus don't have no frenemies. There are some people out there that think that they're God's friend, but they don't obey his commands. If you're not obeying his commands, you're only fooling yourself. If you don't obey his commands, then you are fooling yourself if you think you are his friend. Are we catching this? In 2 Peter chapter 1, you know, I'll pick up in verse 8, maybe I'll back up in a minute, but it says, the more you grow like this, and he gives us this process that we all go through. It starts with faith in God, and we go through this process where God starts working in us and through us, and transforming us, and we start growing in our faith, and we start growing in our knowledge of the Lord, and we start growing in wisdom, and if you grow, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their own old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen, so does he say to be lazy and coast? He doesn't. He says you got to work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you'll never fall away. Do what things? Stay in the process. Start with your faith in God. Start going through verses 5, 6, and 7 in your life. And if you go through verses 5, 6, and 7, you're going to find that you can do verse 10 where you work hard to really prove that you're among those God has called and chosen. Then when you do these things, you won't fall away from the faith. Right now, there's a lot of people that have aborted the process. They've become apathetic and lazy in their faith. They're not praying. They're not spending time reading the scriptures. And as a result of this, they're starting to fall away. Statistically, across North America right now, through this process over the last nine or 10 months, 
30% of the people that used to attend church regularly don't even tune in to stream a service anymore. They have no affiliation or fellowship with their faith at this point. 30% over the last 10 months. That's tragic. But I assure you, how many of those people that fell away aborted the process in their life long before they fell away? They stopped allowing the Spirit of God to transform them from the inside out. They stopped allowing that process of sanctification to happen inside of their life. They got comfortable. They got lazy. They got apathetic. And as a result, they started drifting away, and before they knew it, they were drifted. God, where'd you go? Well, he's one step away or one prayer away, but the truth is we walk away from him. He doesn't walk away from us. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, this is the message we've heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. If God is light, then there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. If you say you have fellowship with God, but continue living <laughs> against his commands, guess what? You're not practicing the truth. If we are living in the light as God is light, then we have fellowship with each other in the blood of Jesus. His son cleanses us from all sin. There's some if-then statements. See, our culture today is drifting more and more and more towards opinions and less and less towards truth based on the established scriptures. There is lots of absolute truth in the Bible. And I think that's why the culture hates it so much because really it represents everything that they're not. But at the end of the day, it addresses the, the wrong inside of our heart. It addresses the selfishness inside of our heart. He goes on and he says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If you claim to have no sin, then you're fooling yourself. You don't know truth. But if we confess our sins, then, right, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, then we are calling God a liar. I'm adding the then there and showing us that his word has no place in our hearts. If you claim that you're above sin, if you claim that you don't have any issues, if you claim that you've never messed up or missed the mark, you're calling God a liar. You're not allowing his word to come in and transform you. In Revelations chapter 3, verse 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Is Jesus knocking at the door of your heart today? Have you opened the door and have you let him in and are you fellowshipping with him? Are you having food with him? Or is he standing there knocking? I want to kind of close with this concept, my final concept for today. Throughout history, we see that when a nation forsakes God, they essentially bring judgment on themselves. If you were to look through antiquity, there are many non-existing nations or non-existent nations now because God's judgment was brought on them because of their sin. 
Edom, Assyria, Sodom, Babylon are some of the examples that you see in the scriptures. There's others, <coughs> excuse me, where there's no more representatives from the Hittites, the Moabites, or the Philistines. It was because of their stubbornness and their rebellion against God that he wiped them out when their cup of iniquity got full. And from the time that the Bible was written over the years, there's nations that rise up and they defy God and they walk away from his commands. And any nation that does that is going to become a nation in decline very rapidly. And they bring a curse on themselves. So for us, I think it's really important, it's when the people of God start exercising their authority. And if, they're, if you are called by his name and you start exercising your authority, and humbling yourself and praying, which we're going to develop over the next few weeks. Maybe we can beseech God to heal our land. Maybe we can ask him to lift the judgment that's on our land right now. Maybe we can ask him to lift the curse. But it's up to you. You can stay apathetic and keep chain-watching your Netflix and <laughs> doing the things that we do. Or... We can start praying like we've never prayed before. We can start humbling ourselves. We can start seeking his face. It's really up to you, his people. Are we going to exercise the authority and the dominion God has given us and start doing war in the heavens and pray? Are we going to continue just enjoying life as it is? I don't know. I look around. There's a lot of people not enjoying too much these days. I have to continually ask people to focus on something good. Find something you can be thankful for today. If nothing else, be thankful for the cross. Jesus died for you. We have our communion elements, if you had a chance to prepare them at home. You know, our covenant meal was instituted on the night that Christ was betrayed. I mean, in the middle of the meal, he looks at the one guy and says, go do what you got to do. <laughs> You're going to betray me, go do it. Do it quickly. But he took the bread and he broke it because he knew that his body was going to be broken. But Jesus' brokenness on the cross was for your healing and for your freedom today. But I read something earlier Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you're truly my disciples, if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's great to claim the freedom in Christ. But if you're not faithful to his teachings, how are you going to know the truth? And if you don't know the truth, how are you ever going to walk in freedom? Father, I thank you that you light the heart of men and women with your light that can't be extinguished. I thank you that Jesus was willing to endure the cross, the anguish, the suffering, the pain, as all of the sickness and disease and illness was poured out on him. But Father, because of the cross, we know that the power of hell has no authority inside of the life of the believer who's submitted to the will of God. 
So Lord, today as we're submitted to your will, I thank you that in his brokenness, Jesus healed us. And I speak life and health to everybody now. Those that are struggling with sickness and disease, right now receive the life of God. And as the brokenness of Jesus made a way for our wholeness, he purchased our healing with his stripes. I thank you, Father, that you're manifesting your power right now in the lives of your people. And healing is released. And Lord, I will stand on this that no plague will come near our household in the name of Jesus. In the blood of the new covenant that Jesus spilled on the cross for all of us, every drop of his blood was for you so that your sins could be forgiven. Father, I thank you that Jesus was willing to endure death on a tree for me. And that as I have repented of my sin, Lord, I thank you that I can receive forgiveness and gain eternal life. And Lord, you lift the curse off of my life and my family, our household, because of the blood of Jesus. And you lift the curse off of your people because of the blood. And that the punishment of sin you took on your own body so that we could walk as free men and free women today. And Lord, help us to never lose sight of the great sacrifice that you made for us. Help us to never forget, to always remember, and to live a surrendered life to you. Lord, there's many ifs in your word. And as we submit ourselves to each and every one of them to obey your commands, to follow your teachings, to live as you want us to live, then I thank you that your power, your glory, your authority, your courage, your peace, your hope, your joy is being released in our lives. And everywhere we go, we have hope in the name of Jesus. I want to encourage you this week, make it your lifestyle, but there's so many people right now that are without hope and they're discouraged. They're depressed. They're lonely. We are the church. You need to start reaching out to people. A phone call, a text. Don't fall into the trap of criticism. Don't fall into the trap of strife and argumentativism. <laughs> Just made that up. Don't argue with people. It's not worth your time. Don't argue with each other. Take your swords and aim them at Satan in prayer. And then encourage the body of Christ. Let's be instruments of hope and healing and love today. So reach out to people that you know, whether they're in the faith or not in the faith. 
There's a lot of discouraged people in the culture. We're the church. We have hope. Let's take the hope we have and share it with others. And then finally, we receive tithes and offerings, and I thank you, Windsor Christian Fellowship, for your faithfulness in this arena. We know that the law of seed time and harvest applies in our life, and we know that he puts a hedge about us, and he rebukes the devourer. So this day, Father, as we've sown in faith, as your people take a portion of their income, that 10%, Lord, their tithe, as they give offerings, Lord, I thank you that you multiply the seed and give seed back to the sower. Those that give to the poor, Lord, I thank you that they lend to you and you will repay. And Lord, we're looking for an open heaven over our lives and that our every sufficiency and our every need is met in you because you are a provider and our source. We choose to acknowledge you in all of our ways. So, Father, like Solomon, we pray to you and we say, heal our land. Heal our land. Amen. Well, thank you all for streaming us today. God bless you, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week as we continue the conversation. Amen. Blessings.